Nice to be back home. Nice to see you. I've missed you. As we get started this morning, I want to just reflect a little bit about what we've talked about already. I mean, we've, there's been so many things that have been so God moments already. The uh, mission story. I've been in Sophia. I've walked those streets. Did a whole series of evangelism in Bulgaria in, 20, in fall of 2017. So I was in Varna and, and Sophia and Silistra, the town that I was in. In fact, I received so many birthday wishes from those that I met in Silistra to the point that several of the young ladies refer to me as dad. It's one thing to see it on a screen. It's a whole nother thing to be there. They're just like us, trying to put one foot in front of the other, wrestling with the same things, except they are 30 years out of communism in Bulgaria. They're 30 years away from communism which means that the generations that were born that did not know that are barely 30 years old, and yet that influence is still strong there. And so the work that they're doing and the life that they're living inspires you. And so I would add my voice to clearly this, this 13th Sabbath, make plans for a special offering for that church in Sophia. <coughs> I've seen the folks, I know them personally. Not those that were in the video, but I know them personally and love them dearly. The other thing that was moving, I appreciate what you shared, Todd, about Dante. But you know, we don't need Dante's experience, as good as it is, because we have an experience. Right here, in this church, not long ago, we needed bicycles. And we thought maybe, Lord, give us 50. He gave us 51. And there was like, no, Lord, now we need another. We actually needed 100. And through prayer, God moved on hearts. And that other 50 became 46, 47, 48, 49. And just as the sun was sitting on the Friday before that Sunday, bike number 50 was promised. Only God does those things. But only God does them when we, like Dante, believe. And that was a humbling experience for many of us that were in working with that. And it's a worthy example. Dante's example is worthy. I don't know about you, but were you touched when, when you heard his prayer? Papa? Do we have that kind of view? that we could come not with our heads bowed and our eyes closed and making sure we're not making any wrong moves, 
we come in the presence and look at him and say, Daddy, Papa. There's something about having that in our mind. So this morning, I invite you to join me as I pray before we jump into the Word of God this morning. Papa. I mean that. Today, as I stand here, I am yours. And I'm so glad you don't choose just the good things. Your Father, when you chose me, you weren't choosing something good. And so I am grateful. So today, may I be a fit vessel for you to use, an instrument in your hand. Don't only speak to me today, Father, but speak through me. And to that end, wash me, make me clean. For, Father, I am yet a sinful human, but I am in your hand. So, Father, today may the words that are spoken, may the verses that we read, may they not be heard in my voice, but, Father, may they be heard in yours. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, Tom, you've you've been to my house. So, give me directions that would take me from my house to here? What, what, would those, how would, what would you say? What directions would you give? Get out on that one street <laughs> that goes back to school. Okay. Okay. It would curve around. You'd get on Highway 24, and you would take that west into Moberly. West into Moberly. And then what? Then you would turn south on 63. Okay. And come to, it would be the easiest way, to Route M. Okay. Head west. Uh-huh. Head, you'd take a right, which would be north on Gratz Brown. Okay. Okay, all right. So those directions would get me here. For those that have been to my house, would those directions get you from my house to this church? Yes, they would. Would they get you to my house if you were starting in Macon? Would they get you to my house if you were starting in Columbia? Would they get you to my house? We don't live too far away from each other. Would they get you to my house if, we, if you started from where you live? No. no. Because directions are specific. <clears throat> go to this street, turn right. Go to this street, turn left. Go five miles, you'll come to an intersection. Go through the intersection. 
Directions are specific, correct? And it's important that the directions are followed. Because if you don't follow directions, are you going to get where you're going? No. But I use that as an illustration this morning to help us understand a very key and massively important point. We have a job to do. We have a mission to accomplish. And there are specifics in that mission. But when in that mission, if we start on step four or five, are we going to complete the mission? Think about that. No, you start on step one. You don't start on step 10. You start on step one. You don't start from some other place and try to incorporate directions. You start where the directions are supposed to start from. Does everybody understand? So this morning, the message is one for all and all for one. This is my way of starting a series on looking at the three angels' message. Is that an important subject? Is it an important subject for our church? Why? Why is it important for our church to, to pay any attention to the three angels' messages? It's part of our job. It's central to our mission. It is our mission. It is why we even exist. Would anybody disagree with that? The three angels' messages are why the Adventist church exists today. Amen. It is central to who I am. It is central to who you are and why you are even here on this day. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having an eternal gospel to preach to the inhabitants of the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and language, and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God with awe and reverence, and give Him glory, which is honor and praise in worship, because the hour of His judgment has come with all of your heart, worship Him who created the heavens and the earth and the sea and the springs of water. It's the first angel's message. It's the first of three messages. Are those three messages important? Yes. yes. Where does this angel start? Heaven. But with, with the message, what, where does the angel start? Where is the, the starting point? Yes, it is the gospel. What is the key, central, significant issue in this text? Being glory to God. Okay. How is that done according to this angel? 
worship, honor. Is there anything else specific about that? Speak loud. Don't be timid. Wisdom of God. But how do we know how to worship Him? That's the, that's the how, but how do we know what's being asked for? How do we specifically identify who is to be worshipped and how he's to be worshipped? Worship him who created the heaven and the earth and the sea and the springs of waters. How do we know who that is? Fourth commandment. So, what is the central part of this text? Yeah, I'm hearing lots of different things. And that's why I'm talking about this today. Because of the many different answers. The wrong answer to that question is the Sabbath. Now, before everybody gets out and walks out the door, let me explain. The central and most important issue in this message is the gospel. Because the gospel is specific. The gospel isn't just a word. The gospel isn't just a concept. The gospel is everything. The Sabbath points us to who we are to worship. The gospel is why. It is, the why isn't because he's the creator. The why isn't because he's been identified in the fourth commandment. Because the wording of the fourth commandment is the same as the wording right there. The reason we are to worship is because the Creator came and died for us. Amen. That's the starting point. But if we don't start there, we will never get to where we are supposed to go. The first angel's message is to worship Him. It's not enough just to know the who. We must know the why. Because when we understand this controversy is between two entities, the devil and Jesus. Deception is predicated on what, have I said? Truth. Or else it cannot be deception. When you have the systems of worship that are pagan, and they're worshiping pagan gods, what must those gods, what condition must those gods be kept in? They must be appeased. They must be kept happy because we don't want them angry. And how do we keep those pagan gods appeased? Sacrifice. 
And sacrificing what? All the way to sacrificing our kids, human beings. You see, this becomes so important for us to be clear on because it is a lifelong problem. Since the dawn of time, it's been a misunderstanding. And there is no safety in habit. There is no safety in ritual. You see, because the Bible says, who is the one that was wise in the Bible? Solomon. Solomon is known as the wisest man in Scripture. God chose him, set him apart. He prayed to God and said, Look, I don't want to pray for a long life. I don't want to pray for a big kingdom. I want to, don't pray for riches. All I want is wisdom. And when we read, God answers that prayer and says, Because you didn't ask for those things, you only asked for wisdom. I will give you wisdom and everything else. Kind of like Dante, in a way. How in the world do you go from that when you are praying in dedication of the temple that is finally built and you're standing on the platform outside the temple and you are praying And at the end of that prayer, the Shekinah glory comes out of heaven and is visibly seen and comes into the temple so that the sanctuary there in the temple is so bright and so glorious that the priests have to run out. They can't stand it. You read that. It's in Kings. Just read it. How do you go from that to within a few years you are worshiping more on the hills outside of Jerusalem in the groves than you are in that temple that you dedicated and you are taking your own children and sacrificing them on altars to appease pagan gods. How does that even happen? It happens when we don't start with the right focus and stay on the right path. And there's only one thing that keeps us on the right path. It's not tradition. It's not heritage. It's not practice. It's not follow the rules. It is the understanding that one died for all. And because one died for all, then those who were died for should live, but never more live to themselves, but live for him who died. Right there, my friends, is the worship. And we're going to see that today. 
So we have to go and we have to understand this. So to do that this morning, I am not going to put words up on the screen. We're going to open up our Bibles. I don't care what version you use, but we're going to look up in our Bibles today. Open them up to the book of 2 Corinthians. Chapter 5. And the first thing I want us to understand, so please go there. First, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to start in verse 13. We're going to go through verse 21. Now, what we need to understand in this, this is who talking? Paul. Who is he? Is he a credible source? Is he somebody to be said, yeah, I don't like what he says. I'm not going to do what he says. I don't like what he says. Is he someone like that? Why isn't he? Why isn't he somebody that can be dismissed? Because it's in the Bible. Because he himself talked to Jesus. He was handpicked by Jesus. But that alone, as strange as it may sound, is not enough. It is because of who he was. You see, I've used this enough to say, and I'll use the point here again, would I be a credible person to teach a woman what it's like to give birth to a child? Nope, with a capital N. The reason Paul is credible is not because of Road of Damascus, not because his name was changed. The reason he's credible is because he was the one who was totally antagonistic and convinced in his mind that what he was doing that was totally counter to the gospel was correct. There is no other character, person in Scripture like Saul of Tarsus. And so when we understand Here's what's going on. Paul says, if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. Why would he even say such a thing? Doing a funeral tomorrow. If you read my post on Facebook about my birthday. I spent my birthday in ministry working with a family who lost their dad. Patriarch of the church. One of the patriarchs of the Mid-Rivers Church where Sonia and I spent a lot of time where our ministry began. Larry Everly. I'm saying this to use to a point we began to think of memories and I remember the memory that stands out in my mind is 
Larry and I were working, we were putting up the walls of the gymnasium there at the church. The, the church was being built. Elder Corden was the pastor. Wasn't even ordained yet. I mean, it was long ago. <laughs> and we're putting up the walls and we're, we're putting this, the, 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 the sill cap atop, on top of the walls, the other plate that's on top of the walls. And Larry and I are up on the scaffolding and, and up on, I'm, I'm kind of straddling them and nailing them down. Larry's setting them in place. I mean, and, and you know, they're 15, 16 foot walls, you know, in a gymnasium. And Larry calls down to his son, Christopher, he says, hey, give me another two by six. Christopher looks up and says, when I'm good and ready. It's like my first Sunday there, and I'm going, oh, my goodness. This kid's going to get beat today. <laughs> What's he talking about? He's being so disrespectful to his dad. And I'm, just, I'm just waiting for Larry just to, you know, I mean, I don't know them. I'm just, but I'm waiting for Larry just to blast him. Larry just says in a calm voice, Well, you ready yet? Christopher says, Certainly. <laughs> Three stooges. When the family was thinking about all of that, that was the memory they first went to when they wanted me to do the sermon, to do the message, is because of that. I say that to understand here. Why is Paul saying, if I sound crazy? You know, the old adage with the, you know, Groucho Marx, you know, Doc, it hurts when I do this. <laughs> well, don't do that. The reason Paul says, if I sound crazy, is because to many he sounded crazy. So we have to understand what we're about to read sounds ridiculous. Because to the people in the day that he lived, this did sound ridiculous. But unfortunately, I wonder how many of us are in the same place today. This sounds ridiculous. If we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. But Paul says, for the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus. The word compelled. What are some of the other versions that we have here in the room this morning? Does anybody have a different word than compelled? Constrained. That's a popular one. Controlled. When you are compelled, when you are constrained, is there any other option? Can you do anything else? No. For the love of Christ constrains me. Paul is being very specific. He's choosing his words very wisely because he is wanting people to understand just how important this is. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, if one died for all, then all are dead. Because if that statement isn't true, what does Paul say in another place? Then your faith is in vain. Jesus' death was not enough. 
And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but live for him who died for them and rose again. So my friends, is there anyone in the room this morning that is in that category? Is there anyone here in the room that you are here in this verse? Raise your hand. Oh, please, raise your hand. Raise them both if you need to. Friends, this is you and me in the Bible. We are those that Christ died for, all of us. And he did this, that those who then live should no longer live for themselves. If we are in this verse and he died for us, but yet we are alive, who should we live for then? Continue our life going on as, you know, just as normal, going back to the same things, doing the same habits, doing, living the same life? Is that what this verse is saying? No. It's saying now we live for the one who died for us. We no longer live for ourselves. So the question is this this morning. Look at the picture. You see all the different hands? I want you to really look at the hands and, and, and look at the characteristics of what you see. Do you see differences? Does anything jump out at you? Tattoos. Oh, tattoos. Yeah, what does the Bible say about tattoos? It says don't. But you see tattoos there. Is there anyone here he would not die for? No. Is there anyone he would not die for in the current condition they're in in this picture? No. That's the point. We are called to worship Him. Paul is wanting us to understand that worshiping Him is not just going to church on Saturday. Worshiping Him is wanting to be like Him. Worshiping Him is one to be so much like Him that you copy Him in everything that you do. I mean, you ever watched little kids? They'll copy mom or they'll copy dad. That's not by accident. It's built into our DNA. Those who are well don't need a doctor just like those who are righteous don't need a Savior. Jesus, somewhere between A.D. 30 and A.D. 33. Mark 2.17. The idea is, is that Jesus did not just die for somebody out there. Somebody who's different than me. Somebody who doesn't know what I know. He died for them. 
And the idea that Paul is trying to understand and trying to get across is this, and it's something that he says in the book of Galatians. The, Jew, the Jews are saved the same way the Gentiles are. That would be ridiculous in his day. That would be to say this, Adventists are saved the same way Catholics are. Adventists are saved the same way Mormons are. Adventists are saved the same way Satanists are. Do you get the point? The world isn't saved the way Adventists are saved. But if we're not careful... Sometimes that may be what comes across. Paul is helping us to understand. Therefore, in verse 16, therefore does what? What's the good hermeneutic? When, when you're taught, when you read a therefore, where is it pointing you? To what you just read. Therefore, because we are beside ourselves, because we are compelled by the love of Christ, that one, we judge this, that one died for all, then all are dead. Therefore, we do not look at any others the same way as we used to. Because Paul would go on to say, we even looked at Jesus that way. Therefore, from now on, we no longer regard, we, we, we no, excuse me, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Whose view is that? Whose view is that? What we just read. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Whose view is that? That is Christ's view. That is heaven's view. Our teacher, the greatest teacher that we have in this church, Alan White says that when you walk and I walk through those gates on the streets of gold with all of the host of heaven watching us, walking in, how will they look at you? How will they look at me? As sinners redeemed? No. As though we had never sinned. That's heaven's view of those who are in Christ. Then what does it mean for those who live? We no longer look at others according to the flesh. What's the looking according to the flesh? <coughs> yeah, sinner, you goofball, you screwed up, you did this again, you did that again, you messed up. It's what we do, isn't it? Ever had a pastor tell you how much you messed up? 
Ever had a church leader tell you how much you messed up? Ever have a parent tell you how much you messed up? Ever been the parent that's told you how much you messed up? Ever been the preacher that's told you how much you messed up? Ever had a church tell you how much you messed up as a preacher? View of the flesh. That's not the view we're supposed to have. That's why the gospel is centric to the first angel's message because it creates the lens at which we look through to everybody and the rest of the messages. If you take the gospel out of the way and you sidestep the gospel and you go straight to the fourth commandment on the Sabbath, you are not going to get where you need to get. And the reason I say that is because what is the gospel? It's the one who died for all. Now, all things are of God, verse 18, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us this ministry of reconciliation. This is the one and the only place where there is a ministry bequeathed on every person who is in Christ Jesus. And that means you are called to be an ambassador for Christ. That's what Paul says. Now, therefore, we are ambassadors. We are no longer to live for themselves, but to and for him who died and was raised again for their sakes. What is Paul, how does Paul explain the gospel? He explains it as it's everything. You see, because Saul of Tarsus was probably on his way to be the next high priest of Israel. It's not, there's nothing that says that, but it's not hard to consider when you research and study where he was at, who his teacher was, Gamaliel, all the things that he was doing. He was a rising star in the Sanhedrin. He knew the prophecies. He knew the traditions. He knew the laws. He understood the sanctuary. He understood the sacrificial system. He understood the seventh-day Sabbath. He understood God as, as uh, the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He understood the promise of the one coming. He understood all of that. And yet, when he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, he will tell the church in Philippi, I count everything of those things as dung. Rubbish. For the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Amen. You see, because when Paul is spending those three days in the darkness of blindness of his mind, we are told that his mind is acting with great rapidity and he is going from prophecy to prophecy to prophecy to prophecy, understanding that Jesus is central, the Creator is central. Starting in, in the book of, of Genesis chapter 3, I will put enmity between thee and the woman. When the, when the institution of the first sacrifice was made, the lamb that points 
to Jesus, the system that went all the way through and Abraham picked it up with a morning and evening sacrifice pointed to Jesus, the one that was going to bring all nations together and be a blessing to all, not in thy seeds will the, will the world be blessed, but in thy seed, singular, Jesus. Everything points to Jesus. When Jesus came, every ritual that they were doing, every one of the festivals and the feasts that they had pointed to Jesus. Everything points to Jesus. Every prophecy we preach points to Jesus. Not 2,300 days so you can figure out what's happening to point the end and the judgment. Not knowing the 70 weeks so we can prove that the papacy is wrong. To point out that the rapture is wrong. Everything points to Jesus. Everything is built on the gospel. And if you're not starting on the gospel, you're not going to get to the kingdom. Which is why Jesus said, you go out to the Pharisees, you go out and you proselytize and you win converts and you make them twice the sons of the devil you are. Ouch! Why would he say that to them? Because they had rejected Jesus. They chose tradition over Jesus. In fact, they continued after the temple curtain was torn in two, they continued the sacrificial system, rejecting Jesus. When, when Peter and John and, and the rest of them were preaching the gospel, they tried to shut them up because they were destroying the temple. They were destroying the sacraments. They were destroying the, the sacrifices. They were, they were destroying all of that. For the love of Christ controls and urges and impels us. This is the amplified version. Because we are of the opinion and the conviction that if, you see that if is important. If you believe that Christ died, then who did he die for? All. Not just Sabbath keepers. He died for pagans, he died for Romans, he died for Greeks, he died for Gentiles. He died for all. And if he died for all, then everyone's penalty has been paid. Amen. So then, how does Noel look at me? Is that goofball pastor? <laughs> or is the pastor that's been forgiven? How does pastor look at Noel? Ah, goofball that, boy, it's taken a long time to get her learning, learning how to do this clerk stuff. <laughs> that's a hard job. Why do I look at her as a child that's been forgiven? And depending on how I view her, will that change how I treat her? Will it change how she feels how I treat her? Absolutely. You see, that's what worshiping God is. It's not just coming to worship on the Sabbath. And don't anybody ever go away from here 
And you can re-listen to it on YouTube because I'm going to say it plainly. I am not saying worshiping on Sabbath isn't important. I'm not saying that. But worshiping on Sabbath is not enough. There is more. And Paul makes it clear what the more is. In fact, so does Ellen White. This was the verse of the day. We are to, uh, it's an eternal gospel. It's the first thing mentioned. It's the first angel. It's being said with a loud voice. How much more emphasis could be put on it? Everything is about the gospel to preach to the inhabitants of the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. Said with a loud voice, fear God. Be afraid of him? No. Respect him with awe and reverence. Why? Because he's the creator and he died for you. Amen. He paid the penalty of his own law. He's the one that wrote the law. He's the one that said if you break the law, you die. And he's the one that said, nope, Ken's not going to have to. I'll die for him. Is Ken ever going to be afraid of him? Never. But he will be in awe. Are you in awe of God? Are you in awe of heaven I am because I look at me through eyes of the flesh I know me it kills me you see because you know the phrase you can never unthrow a rock you can regret it. You can have remorse over it, but you can never unthrow it. You see, we live in a world where there is pain and there's brokenness inside of each of us. And that brokenness comes from how people have treated us. That brokenness comes because of how we have treated and hurt others. And you can't fix it. All you can say is, I regret it. I really, really, really regret it. But even in that, the pain doesn't go away. Because it's still there. And you know how long it'll be there? It'll be there until the day when we look up and we're looking up into Papa's face. And he walks towards us. And we recognize it's him. And he reaches out and he pulls us in and he hugs us so tight then all of the broken pieces finally come back together. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine a Jesus that would do that to you? Knowing who you are, where you've been, what you've thought, how many times you've failed, and still 
come and hug you as if you never did. This is what one of our great teachers has told us. Love to man is the earthward manifestation of the love of God. I really appreciate, I, I noticed out there in the, in the foyer, Dan, did you make that? Dan put it together. Well, all three of you, I mean, I just recognize the barn wood. That's what I recognize. And it's lovely. And it's so appropriate. It takes the Ten Commandments, the law of love, and puts it in such a beautiful display of the two laws that God would talk about, love to God and love to man. Love to man is the earthward manifestation of the love of God. It was to implant this love to make us children of one family that the king of glory became one with us and when his parting words are fulfilled, love one another as I have loved you. How did he love us? On Calvary. By going and taking all of the sin all of the mistakes, all of the screw-ups, all of the wrong theology, all of the hurt and pain I've inflicted on somebody else. He took all of that for me and he bore that on Calvary and it broke his heart. And he did it for me. That's how he loved me. And when I understand that that's how he loved me, he says, when the parting words are fulfilled, love one another. So when I am willing to take Ken's faults and Tom's faults and Jolene's faults and your faults and put them on me and bear them as if you weren't that way at all. And there's no separation between us. And there's only love as if there was none of that at all. Can you imagine what it's like to have a relationship with somebody who's never messed up? Who's been, who in your entire life has always, I mean, those are those grandmas and grandpas. You kind of look at that, you know? You, you have, there can be those. But that's Jesus. And he says, when we can be that way, then this is fulfilled. And how important does she say it is? How important? When we love the world, that's not just here in this, in this sanctuary, those that are like us, those that worship on the same day, those of us and fill in the blank that do blank like us. When we love the world as he loved it, then for us his mission is accomplished and we are fitted for heaven. Now wait a minute. What did she just say? What fits us for heaven? But I thought obedience fit us for heaven. Now, I'm being facetious here on a point to, to drill the point home for us to think about. We are fitted for heaven, for we will have heaven in our hearts. And what is heaven? Love. 
the love that embraces it all, the love that doesn't care what you've done, the love that doesn't care where you've been, the love that only cares you here, here. And I have died for you. And how is that love to be transmitted? That's the gospel. How is that love to be transmitted? Is it enough for, okay, I'm the speaker, I'm, I'm the teacher, I'm the lecturer, I put it nicely on a screen, I made it look really good, and I have now shared the gospel, right? No. No. It's when two people who have been at odds, bitterness, hurt, can by that grace put that all aside and be brethren as if none of that ever happened. And when one does that, and another one does that, and another one does that, and another one does that, and then two more do that, and then four more do that, and then eight more do that, and then 16, and then 32, and then 60. Do you understand the aspect of, of multiplication in that way? That's how the gospel is spread, not by just talking about it. That's what Paul says. Therefore, if one died for all, then all are dead, and those that live should no longer live for themselves, but live for the one who died, and worship him by becoming like him, by being him. And the only way we can do that is there's no copycats here. There's no cheap duplication. Paul says, it's by Jesus living inside of me. That's the only way Paul knew how. I die daily. I am crucified with Christ, yet I live. But the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's why Paul is credible. If I would make this up, you could say, yeah, that's just your idea. Mm, that'd be right. Because my words aren't written in that book. But this is Paul talking. He said, we are now called. Follow me along and we'll finish this up. Now all things are of God in verse 18, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. We are called to this ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. Do we understand that? What does not imputing mean? Put that, somebody put that in modern English. Not getting in the way. Not blaming. Not tattooing it on their hand. Not labeling. Oh, that's that. Fill in the blank. Whatever sin you want. That's that drunk. That's that child abuser. That's that one who can't keep his mouth 
closed, but every other word's a curse word. That's that man or woman who's living an immoral life. That's that whatever. Paul says, not imputing their trespasses to them. And who's he talking about? He's talking about us, but what's the condition of the one he's talking about? Are they sinners or are they clean? They're sinners. These aren't clean people. Because if they were clean people, then what does it mean to not impute their trespasses? Their trespasses are there. They're sinful people. You and me. This is you and me. Not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word, that same word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors. An ambassador is one who speaks for, but never as, the king. The one who speaks for God, but never as God. And you see, this controversy all started. Why are the three angels' messages so important? Because the controversy started because someone wanted to talk as God. And you can see his work all the way, starting with Cain, going to Nimrod, going all the way down through the pagans and all the way down into even the children of Israel where the priests and the Levites stopped being ambassadors and started being gods themselves. And when the God came, do you understand this? When Caiaphas was in that council and said, it is better that one should die than what? We lose our place. Who's the we? The Sanhedrin. The gods of the Jewish world. They were rejecting the God of heaven. And they continued to reject Jesus and reject the gospel and fight against it over and over until finally they were out. Time ran out. That's why this is so vital. Now then we are ambassadors as though Christ we're pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. My friends, we sang about it. We sing about it all the time. Live out thy life within me. The temple, this temple, has been yielded and purified of sin, not by anything I've done, but by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let thy Shekinah glory now shine forth from within, and all the earth keep silence. This body henceforth be 
thy silent, gentle servant moved only as by thee. The last refrain just above that in the first verse says, I, thy transparent, I, the transparent medium, thy glory to display. Some of you may be thinking, man, he sure is stepping on my toes today. I'm not. I'm stepping on mine. In the last two weeks, I've had a lot of time to reflect. I was talking back before we came out, I was sitting in if you were on Facebook, you know we had some pictures of several times we had two dinners sitting beachside in a restaurant watching the sun go down. That was stunning. Those were never planned. Those were never, they just happened. We just got in the right place at the right time and were sat at tables right, at, you know, it was just like, wow. And in the last one, was down in the Keys, right by the seven mile, the really long bridge. And there's a restaurant just right down below it on the left-hand side. A very good restaurant. And we were there, had a beautiful seat, a seat that we had, we had heard others going, man, I wish we could sit there. <laughs> we actually heard this like, I feel a little guilty. <laughs> But we ate our meal and we just sat there and watched the sun go down. And I took a video of it as the sun was going down. And there was a song playing. It wasn't a Christian song. There was a guy and another, a couple of guys and playing music and singing and it was a, it was a Jimmy Buffett song. Changes in latitude, changes in attitude. As I watched that sun go down and as I reflected on things, I was reflecting on my own life and realizing that your pastor has not been a pastor like I just preached. I've not looked at you and not imputed your sin to you. I've not fulfilled these passages. I've not been an ambassador. I am sorry. I have preached and I have tried and I've realized I've failed. It's not enough just to say, I'm going to only know Christ and Him crucified and just say it and then walk out and then do everything contrary to it. And I'm purposing today to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And if He died for all, then all are dead. And I will never look at you again the way I have. By God's grace, I will not do that again. 
because this message must be preached to every tribe, every tongue, and every language. And it's not enough to preach it for 15 or 24 nights once every couple of years. It needs to be lived out every single day when you and I are walking the streets and going to work. I am going to be transparent this morning. Sonia's not here. She had a really bad headache, really bad night. And as strange as it may sound and as horrifying as it may sound, the one thing that helps her get through that right now is some Coke. Coca-Cola, the soft drink. She had a horrible night last night. That's why she's not here. She said, will you just go to church? And She said, do we have any? I said, no. The other day I came up and told you it was the last one because she'd had a bad headache. Now what? Oh, it's Sabbath. You can't go do that. You're a pastor. You can't be seen in a grocery store on Saturday. I was driving out of town coming here. I turned around. I'm not going to leave my wife sitting home, laying home in a bed with a throbbing headache and nausea that is, she's just trying to fight it just because of pain. And I thought, oh man, this town, they know I'm an Adventist pastor and boy, if my church members ever found out about it. I drove up to the grocery store, Pringers, there on Main Street, walked in, and one of the clerks, Kim, hey, how you doing today? (laughs) I went, great. She says, so am I. Great. I'm just glad to be on this side of the dirt this morning. And I went, yeah, me too. Checked out, she was just so bubbly, and she said, yeah, a couple years ago, I didn't know if I could say that. I went, oh, why? I had open heart surgery, and I about died. And I went, I know what that's like. My wife had cancer really bad, and was afraid of that. She said, oh, then you know, and I said, yeah, I know. I said, and then last year, I got it. She went, no, I said, yeah. And it wasn't the good, it was the bad one. And now I got to go in for her heart. And she said, I will be praying for you. How awkward is that for an Adventist preacher to use as his closing illustration, Sabbath morning in church, that before he got there, he went to the grocery store to buy some Coke for his wife so she could deal with her headache and have an encounter that was establishing a relationship with Kim at the store to now know that we have something in common. I want to live for him. I want to see everybody the way he sees them, including you. And I believe that when we do what Sister White encouraged us, that that indeed will fit us for heaven because heaven 
will be created in our hearts. May God bless us today as we continue to live, not preach, the three angels' message. I'm wondering this morning as we've sung that song if there's someone who says that's the only place I want to be is at the foot of the cross I don't care about knowing gain I don't care about knowing loss Two wonders I confess are the wonders of my unworthiness and the glory of the cross that one, the one who didn't have to, who with a word could have spoken us out of existence, and it would have been so much easier. But he didn't. And not only did he die for Jody, die for you. But this day in heaven, as he is watching us, he looks like us. He took our form. He gave up the ability to be in every place at one time because he can no longer do that because of me, because of you. That's how much he loves us. How can we refuse that? And if we could just tell that to the world, what difference would it make? I wondered this morning, I want to know more, know anything other than Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I'm wondering if there's anybody else who wants to make that profession this morning. And if you do, please come and stand with me as I close out in prayer. Father in heaven, it is a wondrous love that we cannot even begin to comprehend because of the magnitude of our unworthiness. And yet, it is real and it is the truth and it's who you really are. So Jesus, today we confess 
not to know anything other than Jesus Christ and Him crucified and be your ambassadors that we would go to a dying world, every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every people with the eternal gospel as our foundation to look at them the way you have looked at me, to treat others the way you treat me. And may we worship you not only on every Sabbath day, but may we worship you in our lives that will be just like you, that someday, maybe right here in Moberly, people will look at us and say, I see Jesus. That is our prayer, and that is our plea. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.